This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. Welcome back to Through the Ringer. I'm your host, Tate Frazier, and today we are joined by one of our favorites in the Ringer universe. He is known to you as J.J. Bombs, and we love him as John Jastrzemski. He's on the Ringer Gambling Show. He's all over the place. He's keeping us up to date on all things New York. John, thanks so much for coming back on the show, man. Tate, the pleasure is all mine. <laughs> Anytime I hear the Instagram handle, a.k.a. the high school nickname, which I never hear anymore, <laughs> it's rather ironic because you would think a guy with that sort of nickname would hit bombs on the golf course or bombs on the baseball field, but n- not particularly, dude. Not particularly, well, but it's always a pleasure. Well, for, we'll talk about golf at the end because uh, I wanted to point that out. You and I, we're both out there. You know, we're trying to play golf. It's the dog days of summer, so there's not much going on. So it's a nice time to lock in on the PGA Tour, lock in, you know, just in your recreational activities. But it's also the time to lock in on baseball because I have to ask you about this. You mentioned hitting bombs. Last year, we all followed uh, the Aaron Judge journey, right, in New York with the pinstripes, hitting the home run, breaking the record. It was a, it was a beautiful storyline, a beautiful narrative for all Yankees fans but now the Bronx Bombers are kind of sitting in the middle of the pack here in the AL East and I have the futures odds in front of me the Tampa Bay Rays are minus 650 the Orioles at plus 1200 the Yankees plus 1400 the Blue Jays plus 1600 and of course the most hated Boston Red Sox uh, at plus 20,000 so they're completely out of this but let's let's start with the Bronx Bombers right at, like I said they're in the middle of the pack right now what can they do JJ to kind of take that next step and get back into the fold well, Tate, they got to figure out what in the world is going on with their lineup because right. I understand Aaron Judge is not playing, and you hit on it. He's a special player. He's outside of Shohei Otani for my money, the best player in all of baseball with what he provides as far as intangibles, star power, leadership. Hit 62 home runs a year ago. The Yankees have looked like a different team without him, and normally it doesn't work that way in baseball. We see it in the NBA where if you lose – Jokic, or you lose Giannis, it's like, holy moly, you 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 feel the impact. In baseball, many instances, you got a 27-man roster. You're one of nine in an everyday lineup. You're not a guy that's necessarily going out and throwing the baseball. Normally, you can kind of overcome that sort of injury, especially when you have the payroll and you have the resources that the Yankees do. That has not been the case. They've been... One of, if not, the worst offensive team in all of baseball since Aaron Judge hurt his toe in Los Angeles a couple of Saturdays ago. And up and down the lineup, nobody is hitting for the Yankees. Guys with brand name track records. That's John Carlos Stanton. That's DJ LeMayu. I want Josh Donaldson out of my life as soon <laughs> as possible, but you can put him on that list. Even Anthony Rizzo, who I love and I don't necessarily worry about, he kind of has cooled off from what he was earlier in the year. So it's a lineup-wide problem across the board. And they played the Oakland A's on, what was it, Tuesday night. I can't even keep track yeah, of the days. Yeah, right. The Oakland A's have the worst pitching staff in all baseball, and the Yankees scored <laughs> one run. That's all you need to know about the way things are going from an offensive perspective. Yeah, and I saw in New York, New York the other day, you were talking about the the Aaron Judge injury. What is, you know, for the people that didn't see this or didn't get the update, what is the timeline for Aaron Judge in getting back into the lineup and trying to turn things around for the Yankees? Tate, your guess is as good as mine. I don't know. <laughs> and the Yankees don't seem to know. So they have been very vague in giving details when it comes to this injury. 
hurt his foot in L.A. He's going to be out for a couple of days. They have not kind of told a soul, at least not one member of the media. They haven't kind of leaked the report out there at all to what the status might be. And here's what ends up happening when you have a set of circumstances like that. All of a sudden, there's chatter on social media. How hurt is Judge? Is Judge all right? Is Judge just not playing through the pain, which is absolute nonsense. But then the player gets wind of that, and they're like, hold on a second. I'm, I'm going to say my piece here. I'm going to let people in the media know exactly what's going on. And Judge came out over the weekend and said, yeah, I have a torn ligament in my toe. Now, how much does that change the timetable? The Yankees said it doesn't change the timetable that much. But Tate, hearing that did not necessarily sit well with me. And hearing Aaron Boone a couple of days ago say, yeah, I can't say with certainty he's going to come back this year. I mean, that put not in my stomach because if he doesn't come back, there's, there's not much to talk about with the Yankees as far as making a run come October. That judge went to the New York Post and said, look, I'm fairly confident I'm going to be back. I think I'm going to be out there and I'm going to I'm going to take care and judge at his word. But the bigger problem for the Yankees is for the time being, they are not going to have their best player. They're not scoring runs. And whatever that timetable may be, whether it's a few more weeks, whether it's the middle of August, who knows? Maybe it's Labor Day weekend, for goodness sakes. The Yankees are going to have to find ways to score runs and win games without number 99. Yeah, and let's talk about Aaron Boone. You mentioned the manager there because I think that is a fascinating conversation for Yankees fans and even for, you know, even Celtics fans, right? 2008, 2009, that is an, an eternity when it comes to, you know, being these championship-level, you know, franchises. So you look at 2009, yes, it was a great world champ, you know, world championship run for the Yankees, but it feels like an eternity ago. And I feel like the finger-pointing might start in the Bronx very soon. How long is the leash for someone like Aaron Boone? Obviously, he has his history with the Yankees, had his great moment in the playoffs. He's been a manager there for, you know, quite, quite a while at this point. But when do the Yankees fans officially, you know, look around and say, hey, Aaron Boone, we blame you for this and we want to go outside and figure out who our next manager is or are we are we a far away from that situation right now? Well, because of what I've heard from ownership, it seems like Brian Cashman, the GM and Aaron Boone, the manager, are very safe and secure within their jobs. I mean, that's what I heard Hal Steinbrenner say a week ago, Tate. Now, if they go and miss the postseason this year, is the narrative, is the conversation going to be different? I don't know. Look, Aaron Boone has been Yankee manager since 2018. And you got to understand something with the way the Yankees operate. A lot of these decisions are coming from the front office. That's just mm -hmm. the way it is. They are not letting Aaron Boone cook as a manager the way you would let an old school manager cook 15, 20 years ago. Now, full disclosure, when they got embarrassed, what was it, two years ago in Boston, wild card, barely snuck into the playoffs, had a mediocre regular season, and his contract was up, I was of the mindset, all right, time to cut bait. Time to go and get yourself a different manager. Well, the Yankees got embarrassed by the Red Sox, their arch rival. They lose a one-game playoff, and he got a three-year or four-year extension, whatever it was. So it seems like ownership is very comfortable with these guys running the show. But listen, I have my beef, and I have my criticisms with Aaron Boone as a manager. I don't think he's one of the best managers in the game. And I think he kind of now gets this pass at times from the New York media, at times from people around the sport, likable guy, baseball family, worked at ESPN. Hey, the Yankees are winning 90 games every year. Oh, how bad of a job can he be doing? You watch the games day in and day out. There are so many things I can dissect. But their bigger problem beyond Boone, Tate, is the way they're being run. And I was the biggest Brian Cashman fan for a long time. He's been a GM since 1998. Think about that for a minute. 1998 is, is a long, long time. <laughs> 25 years. I mean, that's it's a lifetime ago. I was 10 years old when Brian Cashman took <laughs> over as Yankees general manager. And the entire operation to me feels stale. It just feels stale. And I felt this way last year when they got swept by the Houston Astros. I most certainly feel it this year when I look at a team that's chasing the Tampa Bay Rays that, yeah, they'd be in the playoffs if the season were to end today, but they don't have the look and the feel of a championship team. So I have been advocating for, 
yeah, some new blood, some new faces within the organization. But the sense I get, that's not happening no matter what happens at the end of this year. That's pretty shocking stuff. And I remember last year, I mean, which also feels like an eternity ago, it, it was the Mets and the Yankees. You know, who who runs New York? Who's going to go win the World Series, right? It was all this conversation during the regular season. Mets because they're the one team in the MLB that has a $300 million, you know, salary uh, cash flow going out to their players. They're the oldest team in the MLB and they are absolutely struggling uh, at the moment. They were, they were hoping Verlander and Scherzer could, you know, find the fountain of youth and figure things out. But right now the New York Mets are a mess. What can you tell us about the Mets and what their plan is? Is it basically this season's a wash at this point? Well, they're in a, Brutal, brutal predicament. They got a lot of age on that team, as you just alluded to. They have a lot of big contracts that they've tied up in over the last two off-seasons. Scherzer and Verlander aren't necessarily long-term contracts, but they're not pitching like $40 million a year type of pitchers. Nowhere close to that. And Tate, the best way to sum up what the Mets have been in 2023, they're bad. When they hit, (laughs) they don't pitch. When they pitch, they don't hit. They've lost more games, I feel like, than anybody when they score five or six runs. They're not getting length out of their starting pitchers. Because of the fact they're not getting length out of their starting pitchers, their bullpen, which lost Edwin Diaz to a freak injury in the WBC, it's been compromised. It's not as deep. It's not as talented. Guys are being exposed, pitching in roles that, quite frankly, they shouldn't be in. And it's kind of led to this narrative that's going on in New York that they're basically the worst team money can buy. You know, that was the narrative for the Vince Coleman, Bobby Bonilla, 1990s New York Mets. You've heard a lot of that this year. Now, we've seen crazy turnarounds. The season's not over. They got 80-something games left, and you hit on it, expanded postseason. You go rattle off 9 out of 10. You go rattle off 11 out of 15, and you could find yourself right back in the thick of this thing. But... The Mets just look well beyond a team like the Atlanta Braves, who they can never beat. Like, they, they're not on the same mm-hmm. stratosphere as Atlanta. And they don't even look as promising as what I've seen out of Miami and Philadelphia. And there are so many other teams. That's the thing now in the NL. You look at that wild card race, there's the Marlins, there's the Phillies, there's whoever ends up losing the NL Central. Maybe one of those teams is in the mix. Giants are there. Do the Padres turn their season around? They've been a bitter disappointment. So that competition combined with the age and what we've seen now for good sample size. I mean, we're almost at the halfway point of the year, almost at 81 games. Uh, It's hard for me to imagine the Mets are going to go and turn their season around. And we all remember last year, the Padres coming to New York, Scherzer's on the mound. It was supposed to be this moment for the New York Mets. And then the Padres kind of ruined the party that day. And it feels like they've been reeling ever since. And, you know, I just saw a big headline right now. It says Max Scherzer would reportedly be open to a trade away from the Mets. He has a no trade clause, as we all know. So he's willing to waive the no trade clause to see what value he has in the marketplace. Would trading Scherzer actually be a good thing for the Mets at this point and maybe trying to reset if a team would take him on? Well, here's the problem. He's got a $40 million player option for next year. So I can't imagine, Tate, that you're (laughs) going to get much in return. No matter, and and let me give Scherzer credit because I roasted him a couple weeks ago. He absolutely imploded last year in the biggest starts of the season against Atlanta and then in that playoff series, like you mentioned, against the San Diego Padres. But his last 10 or so starts, he's looked much closer to being Max Scherzer. He's not Max Scherzer of Washington, but he's pitched much better. What are you getting for a guy who has not a team option, but a player option for 40 or $42 million next year? Like, I, I don't know about you, but like if I'm a team that's inquiring about Max Scherzer, I'm like, listen, this guy is not going to walk away from that. He's not getting $40 million if he goes to free agency this time around. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be on the hook. I'm going to have to pay that. Like <laughs> a team like the Baltimore Orioles, In a perfect world, that's exactly what they need. They need a stabilizing force in their rotation, a guy who's been there, a guy who's done that. Like, on on the surface, you'd be like, yeah, you know, Scherzer to the Orioles makes a lot of sense. Except the Orioles are going to be like, well, 
you're not getting anything in return if I got to pay him $40 million a year next season. So I think because of that, you'll probably see the likes of Scherzer and Verlander remain in Queens. I think if the Mets end up selling, which I still have a hard time believing because their owner wants to win. He's put all of these resources, all of this money into this team this year. I think it's the spare part kind of guys. It's David Robertson, their closer, who's on a one-year deal. It's Tommy Pham, who has played really well and has been a hot bat over the last month. I think it's more likely guys like that get traded over the likes of a Scherzer or Verlander in their uh, marquee names. Yeah, and I want to talk about, I feel like I'm picking on Max a little bit. I want to talk about Verlander because he has publicly said that he is not, you know, pitching up to par. He's not pitching the way that, you know, he expected to in New York City. You know, obviously when DeGrom decided to sign with Texas, you know, the Mets fans were going crazy. We need Verlander. We need Verlander. That's the that's the one piece that we're missing. And the other day he, you know, he got caught off guard and had an automatic ball charged against him, right? He's just had these moments where it's like, this doesn't look like the ace pitcher that we expected to in New York is there a world in which Verlander can turn things around this season and maybe that will be the you know kind of the lightning rod for the rest of the year for the Mets it's so fascinating a year ago Tate Justin Verlander won the Cy Young he was (laughs) as good as ever with the Houston Astros and you know we run into he's getting like Nolan Ryan comparisons you know what I mean that's how good he was in all seriousness rightfully so he comes back from Tommy John surgery yes, they're giving him extra days of rest and whatnot, but it was like fine wine. It was like Justin Verlander is this guy who's pitching into his 40s and is still at the top of his craft and is still at the top of his game. But I think we know this, Tate, and basically every single sport, there are examples of no matter how good you might be, Father Time is undefeated. (laughs) So is it a matter of Father Time just getting the best now of Justin Verlander? Is it, and I've heard a lot of this now, this change in routine with the pitch clock now being a thing, which we all love, and I think it's the greatest gift to baseball in quite a while. It's really helped if you look at attendance and if you look at viewership ratings. They are and, up, and games up and fly up. by. I went to a Dodgers game a couple of weeks ago with my parents, and my dad, you know, grew up coaching me baseball. Played, we're a baseball family, right? And you know, we leave the ballpark, and my dad's like, "That was fun, you know that that was great. Like that, yeah, that was a nice no change of pace." In it because what they did is they trimmed the fat. They Mm -hmm. didn't trim, Tate, any of the exciting elements that you see in a baseball game. They trimmed, you know, whoever the guy might be stepping out of the box 10 zillion times. Yeah, you know, messing with it. Yeah, yeah, the Nomar Garcia parrot. And like stuff that would just (laughs) drive you insane where it's like, come on, man, let's get on with it. And you even see it in the playoffs. Okay, playoffs, you have the baked in commercials, so that's going to jack up your times a little bit. But instead of having four-hour, nine-inning playoff games, you're going to have three and change playoff games, which is exactly what you want for October. See, pace of play doesn't mind. You don't mind it as much when the games mean that much more. Like when you're watching a June Yankees Royals game, you don't want a nine inning four hour affair. If I get a four hour baseball game in October, that's like perfect. Edge of your seat excitement. Then you know what? You understand the juice is worth the squeeze, but the pitch clock, long story short, has been a, a godsend for the sport. But I wonder if it's had an impact on veterans like Verlander and Scherzer who have been doing this for so long and now their routines are just completely out of whack. Yeah, and your rhythm is off as a pitcher. And a lot of times, you know, a pitcher is a little bit like a golfer where it's like, you know, one little thing, you know, the timing can throw you off, then you get in your head and it's a whole mental game. And, you know, we've seen that plenty of times over the years. I wanted to ask you about uh, the Mets GM, Billy Epler, You know, he came out and said, despite all the disappointing results of the Mets, and of course, I talked about them being the most expensive team in the baseball. He said there is, quote, a light at the end of the tunnel, light at the end of the tunnel. And he said, Buck Showalter, uh, he's the guy to get us back on track. What can Showalter do? And uh, what what do Mets fans feel about Showalter? Because, I mean, he is a legend. He's been around the game. I mean, I feel like as long, I mean, definitely as long as I've been alive and maybe as long as my parents have been alive. I mean, Buck Showalter's been managing and been, been around the MLB. But what can Buck do? And where does the Buck stop with the Mets right now? Tate, you want to talk about going from the penthouse to the outhouse. That <laughs> yeah, is right. what Buck Showalter has done. Um, if you think about what, Last year looked like from a Mets standpoint where, you know, until the last week of the regular season, uh, the guy was the toast of the town. They're playing right. this inspired brand of baseball. They're fun to watch. They're winning 100 games. He goes and wins manager of the year. Like, everything surrounding Buck Showalter last year from a Mets perspective was, this guy's amazing. This guy's the truth. I can't believe this guy is our manager. 
And when things start going poorly and you don't win games the way that you did and you're playing sloppy ball, you're making mistakes in the field, you're not running the bases properly, you don't feel like the bullpen is being managed as well. Yeah, the manager, they're going to take heat for that. That's just that's life in a big city. That's life as a, uh, a big league manager. I think the question of surrounding their job status, nothing's happening in season. Nothing. They are going to keep their They're not going to fire a GM midway through the year. It's just silly. Um, Buck Showalter's managing this team, I think, throughout 162. If they go and flame out and win 78 games this year, I think the million-dollar question is going to be, okay, Steve Cohen, what's your next move? Who mm. is going to fall on the sword for this super expensive team falling flat on their face? And there have been rumblings. David Stearns, the old Brewers GM, he's a New York guy, he grew up a Met fan. Maybe he's the guy that's going to become the uh, the czar. He's going to be the guy to come in and take over. And if that happens, what does that mean for Epler? What does that mean for Showalter? Who knows? But I, I think for those guys to really save face, for those guys to know without hesitation, hey, I'm going to be back next year, Mets got to go on a run and make the postseason. Simple as that. Mm, absolutely. And uh, Buck, I mean, I, I still believe in Buck Showalter. Maybe that's my own fault, but I still tend to think that he knows what's going on and what to do. So I believe in Buck. I want to talk about the rest of the MLB. Obviously, we talked about the Yankees, we talked about the Mets. The two teams that everyone is talking about in the MLB because they're so good right now, the Tampa Bay Rays and the Atlanta Braves. We'll start with the Braves. Obviously, you know, won the World Series a couple years ago. They've stayed in the mix. They've been a top team. They have some of the best talent in the league. But what has kind of been the most surprising key to their success this season? And what are, what are people saying about the Braves right now? Well, Tate, for what it's worth, I think they're the best team in baseball. I know Tampa might have them from a record standpoint. To me, the Atlanta Braves are the best team in baseball. Um, listen, Acuna is going to jump off the page at you. He had a down he's unbelievable. Season. I mean, the guy can do it, and he's fantastic to watch. It's the speed. It's the power. It's the energy that he plays the game with. And at times, I know his manager has gotten on him for not hustling, and he's benched him on a couple of different occasions. But this is always the version of Ronald Acuna that I thought we were going to see. And I know my fantasy team is very thankful for it. The <laughs> idea that he is on his pace for a 40-40 type campaign. And I, I think he is the runaway front runner at this point in time to be the National League most valuable player. But I, I would say from a brave standpoint, what has surprised me, how they've held it together from a pitching standpoint without Freed and without Kyle Wright. I mean, those are two big arms for the Atlanta Braves. They go down early in the year, and you're like, okay, how are the Braves going to be able to survive that? And here we are, Tate. It has not been an issue. It has not been a problem. And now it's kind of to the point where you can get those guys back because you have such a nice cushion within your division where you can kind of ease them back. There's not as much pressure about, hey, we got to get them back. We got to get them up to speed immediately whenever they're ready. You can kind of do that organically over the course of the season. So, their pitching holding up the way that it has is probably my surprise, but their lineup is terrific. They got power, they got speed, they got balance. And I think that's why at the moment, I think they had a team to beat to go to win the World Series. And if you look at FanDuel and you look at the NL East futures, uh, the Braves are minus 3,500 to win the NL East. So, I mean, that's pretty much a, a locked up thing. And like you said, it's kind of the antithesis of what we have with the Yankees where you, everyone wants to rush Aaron Judge back on the field. He's got to come back. He's got to be the savior, right? And the Braves are, you know, they just get to sit back a little bit and enjoy themselves. I want to stick in the NL because, you know, I'm in Los Angeles. The Ringer, we're out here in Los Angeles. So a lot of people love the Dodgers out here. I think that's the most beloved team in the Los Angeles area. Everyone talks about the Dodgers. If you look at the NL West odds right now, the Dodgers are minus 220. Giants right behind them at plus 420. Diamondbacks at plus 440. Just talking about the Dodgers in general, is it too early to start worrying about the Dodgers? Because despite the fact that they're leading the division, uh, they're expected to win the division, um, there is some reservations and some hesitations out here talking about the Dodgers. I totally get that. I don't think, Tate, they're as deep a team as they've been in years past. I, right. I think that's a fair critique to have on them, that they're a lot more top-heavy as a lineup. Where yeah, yeah, Mookie Betts, who's a stud. Yeah, Freddie Freeman who's a stud, Will Smith, fantastic behind the plate. 
But the rest of the Dodger lineup, you know, in years past, you're like, wow, one through nine, they're loaded. Now it feels like that bottom of the order, there are a lot more guys you can go and, dare I say, pitch to. I think a big key for them is how they approach the deadline. How aggressive are they going to be in trying to complement this team? We know they have their eye on the Shohei Otani sweepstakes that are going to be coming up in the offseason. And I don't think Shohei Otani is going anywhere because the Angels have not traded him already. They're in playoff conversation. Like, I think kind of at this point in time, they're pot committed. Like, for <laughs> hella high water, they're going to try and make a case to keep Shohei Otani in the offseason. We'll see if that works out. But the Dodgers kind of kind of were quiet. They didn't, they didn't have that big splash in the offseason. They lost Corey Seager two years ago. They lost Trey Turner last year. So how do they approach the deadline, number one? Number two, what can Walker Bueller be coming back? if at all, from Tommy John surgery? Because we know what kind of pitcher he is when he's right. Is he going to be able to be that guy for the Dodgers where you can slot him into the rotation maybe in September, and maybe he can be a difference maker for them when they get into postseason? I think those are questions that are kind of going to dictate where the Dodgers go this year. And for what it's worth, I do think there's value. I know we're on FanDuel TV. The Arizona Diamondbacks have an insane amount of young talent. Corbin Carroll, I love Zach Gallen. That's a team at plus 450. Might be worth a little bit of a sprinkle, maybe to go hmm. and win the NL West. Yeah, I love that. Uh, you mentioned Otani, so I want to talk about that because I have the uh, the American League MVP odds in front of me. Otani is minus fourteen fifty. Uh, Corey Seager's next up on the docket at plus thirty five hundred, and you know that's pretty much the only two guys that are in the race on the AL on the AL side. Uh, what can the Angels do? You mentioned that you expect him to stay there, but what can they do to make sure they secure Otani's services long term? I mean, and what kind of money are we talking about at this point? Pretty simple. They got to go. and The Angels at the deadline to make the playoffs got to add a couple of pitchers. Their yeah. rotation is not good enough right now. They have a lineup that's competitive. They need to go and add themselves a starting pitcher. That's number one. As far as Otani, I mean, Tate, he's getting $500-plus million this offseason. He might get more than that. So you got to foot the bill. Uh, that's, that's basically as simple as that. You know, those just keep adding dollar signs to the checkbook because you know the Dodgers are going to be a big player. I think the San Francisco Giants are going to be a big player. We've seen the Padres spend a whole lot of stupid money. I think they'll <laughs> right. be a player. Um, I know Steve Cohen wants to be and has the resources to be the highest bidder. Shohei Otani, let's not forget, he had an opportunity to come to New York. The Yankees, before he signed with the Angels, they were ready to move everything. For him to come. They thought it was a given. It was a lock. He was going to be a Yankee. And then basically said, yeah, I'm not interested in playing on the East Coast. So has that changed for Shohei Otani between the winter of 2017 and where we are right now? Not sure. So I think he stays on the West Coast, but it's going to cost a fortune. Yeah, and you think logistically coming from the West Coast to get back to Japan, you know what I mean? It's an easier flight. It's kind of like if you want to go to Europe, it's easier to live on the East Coast, right? I mean, these are just logistical things that come into play, which is, you know, different than the baseball aspect of it. Looking at the National League, Acuna Jr., who we talked about with the Braves, he's minus 190 to be the NL League MVP. Freddie Freeman at plus 950. Uh, Mookie Betts plus 2700. Is there any value um, at maybe taking a swing at someone in the NL? Because it seems like the AL is locked up there. Yeah, I kind of feel like the NL is as well, but there's always the question of injury. And, and mm -hmm. that has been problematic for Ronald Acuna throughout his career. I mean, he had the torn ACL a couple of years ago. He's missed some time in the past. So I, I would say this, always look for guys who are the five-tool variety because voters have shown you over the last couple of years, it's not just about the offensive numbers, that they are weighing those defensive metrics. That's why, to me, a guy like Mookie Betts, if something were to happen to Ronald Acuna, and I'm not rooting for that, I hope he has a great year. I hope at this point he wins the MVP. You're just talking value here. Like, if, if you're going to go for value. I, yes. Get the guy who plays unbelievable defense, gives you the speed, the whole deal. Bets to me from a value standpoint, I think is more of a worthwhile investment than a guy like Freddie Freeman, who, by the way, has won an MVP. And listen, I love Freddie. He's an amazing player. He's a future Hall of Famer. Defense is not the same calling card for him than it is a guy like Betts.
Yeah, and bets, uh, for whatever reason, when you talk about a lot of times MVP awards, there's a little bit of narrative behind it, and it feels like Mookie bets the narrative could push him to the forefront. And, uh, you know, he's beloved by the kids. He's beloved by the league. He's, you know, in Los Angeles, so he has the market. And, you know, if he's going up against Freddie Freeman, it just feels like Mookie, for whatever reason, is kind of the de facto number one guy there. So I like, I like, the, I like the value there. I got the Cy Young odds in front of me, and, you know, a lot of people think this might be a homer pick, and it might be because I covered him in college, but I'm a big Zach Gallon fan. Uh, shout out to the North Carolina Tar Heels baseball program. But right now in the NL, he is the favorite at plus 180. Right behind him is Clayton Kershaw at plus 390. Um, and then you have a, like a precipitous drop-off there. But do you think even at plus value there, taking Gallon with what he's been able to do with Arizona, does that feel like a maybe the best bet, even though he is the favorite? He's on his way to winning the award. I mean, hands down, Tate, he's been the best pitcher in the National League. And I think a lot of people are surprised with the year Clayton Kershaw is having for the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, you want to talk about a guy defying father time. Right. He's had a little bit of a turn back the clock type of season. But I also wonder with a guy like Kershaw, workload, how they're going to manage that. You know, if they are in position where they're in the playoffs in August and September, hey, maybe take a little foot off the gas and let's ease up because we're going to need you in October, big boy. Whereas a guy like Gallon, he's taking a ball every fifth day. He's young. He's in the prime of his career. I, I, listen, you never know with these injuries. That's that's the one thing with betting these awards. Like right now, if you have Zach Gallon from the beginning of the year to win the Cy Young, that was a great bet. You're not getting the number you got preseason that you're getting right now. But if he goes down with an injury, it kind of opens up that door for somebody else to win the award. But listen, I'm not betting against him at this point. Yeah, me either. And uh, I enjoy watching him pitch. It's a lot of fun. And uh, the Diamondbacks don't get, you know, a lot of coverage, especially on the East Coast. But they are a fun team to watch. If you haven't checked them out, watch a game, maybe when they play the Dodgers or someone like that. Um, the AL side, I wanted to ask you about Garrett Cole um, for Cy Young. He's plus 500. And then there's a, a really fun value. And I think this would be like the greatest moment in baseball history if Shohei was able to win an, M uh, an AL MVP and also win the Cy Young. But he's plus 1,000. But what do you think about Garrett Cole there? as far as value at plus 500 because Garrett Cole's had some moments and he's looked good and he's looked like himself, you know, quite a few times this season. Yeah, he's dropped off a little bit, Tate, over the last few starts. But, I mean, you look at the numbers, innings pitched, wins, ERA, strikeouts. The guy's a bulldog. I mean, he mm -hmm. is earning and living up to that contract the New York Yankees gave him. Uh, McClanahan is the one guy you got to watch. And then right. the other the guy favorite. you got to watch. Yeah, and the only thing with McClanahan is injuries. He left the start a couple of days ago. So if he's a guy that spends time on the shelf and he does have an injury history, that's problematic. I actually don't like him for Cy Young. Cole yeah, he's plus 270 guy, right now. Valdez from the Astros. Right. Because he takes the ball every fifth day. He's going to be pitching in a lot of meaningful games for Houston to try to get them into the postseason. Astros haven't been as dominant as they've been in years past. I'm circling two guys for that Cy Young Award. I'd pass on McClanahan. I'd look at Valdez and Cole. 500 for Cole is still a good number. Yeah, and Valdez at plus 410, I think that's a great number as well. And, you know, maybe you just bet on both those guys and see which one hits. That might be some value. It might be a value play there right there. Uh, last baseball question for you, JJ. World Series odds. You know, the, it's October baseball. We're in July right now, so this is a lot of uh, forecasting. But again, it's the dog days of summer. This is what we have to do here. But the Braves are the favorites right now at plus 370. The Rays at plus 450. The Dodgers at plus 470. Astros plus 950. Rangers plus 1,000. Yankees plus 2,000. Um, JJ, I mean, is it worth just taking the Braves there? I mean, they are the favorites, but I kind of like that number at plus 370. Or is there another team in that group that you feel good about? I think the Braves are the best team uh, from a value standpoint. I think you're getting good value on the Houston Astros. Mm. I know how tough it is to repeat, but remember, they don't have Jordan Alvarez in the lineup. That's a team that has an insane amount of pedigree. And here's what we know about the American League at this point in time. Tampa, as good as they've been, that's not a team that's had great playoff success. The Texas Rangers are not going to have Jacob DeGrom. And I saw them at Yankee Stadium this weekend. They don't have a bullpen that knocks your socks off. That scares me come playoff time. I think Texas can mash. Nathan Ovaldi's been great. I just, I don't think they're a World Series team. So I, I think there's opportunity. 950 with a team like the Houston Astros, I'm intrigued. And I'll tell you another team to keep an eye on. And they're young. 
and they're ahead of schedule. But if they go and get themselves a starting pitcher or two, the Baltimore Orioles have a hell of a team. Mm. Like, they're a team that nobody is going to give any chance to because it's like, oh, they're the Orioles. They're they're young. They're not ready for this. Sometimes just roll them out, man. Just play ball, and talent can kind of take over. I, I do believe that. So keep an eye on the Oriole number, which will go down if they go and add themselves a big starting pitcher like Bieber, let's say, at the trade deadline. Yeah, I love that for Mallory Rubin. I know she'll be very excited to hear that the Orioles are in the mix there. And uh, shout out to all the Baltimore people out there. They get Lamar the contract. Now they got the Orioles back in the fold. It's all good things for Baltimore. because there's a little rumor, a little rumbling uh, going around right now that Hard Knocks, you know, which we all love on HBO, they have some interest in the New York Jets. Of course, the New York Jets sign Aaron Rodgers once he comes out of the darkness, um, and he's excited to start his tenure with the Jets. How much fun would you have watching this, and how much fun would you have covering uh, the Hard Knocks, you know, inside the Jets franchise? Because the last time Hard Knocks came to the New York Jets, I personally think it was the best season of Hard Knocks. Rex Ryan, um, you know, making a lot of Super Bowl promises. Uh, you know, Mark Sanchez showing off, his, you know, his hand-eye coordination, making some amazing catches. Just a lot of characters in the building. But how fun would it be to have Hard Knocks cover the Jets this offseason? That'd be amazing. Uh, listen, from what I do, Tate, and from uh, my creative standpoint, that'd be fantastic <laughs> for New York. New York be fantastic uh, for what I'm doing here in town. Uh, if I'm Robert Sala... I wouldn't necessarily love it. If I'm Aaron Rodgers, <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily love it. Although right. Aaron Rodgers kind of strikes me as the guy that just doesn't give a you-know-what. He doesn't mm-hmm. care. I, he, he may not like it, but it's not going to phase him. It's not going to bother him. Um, As far as the characters that you're going to get, that Jets 2010 hard knock is going to be tough to top. With Rex right. Ryan and the Snacks, Antonio Cromartie and his children, Mark Sanchez. <laughs> like, there, there, there was so much fun there, but... I selfishly hope it happens. I can tell the Jets want no part of it, but they don't have much of a say because they didn't make the playoffs last year and they haven't been on the show in a while. So HBO kind of calls the shots. So, Sign me up, man. Let's go. End of July. I want hard knocks. Jets. Let's do it. I, I, I am right there with you. I'll be watching. I'll be supporting. Do you feel like with Rodgers going to the Jets, is this similar uh, to when KD and Kyrie go to the Nets and it kind of still feels like it's a little bit off and it's still a Giants town? Or are we in the position now where New York, New York is saying this is the Jets town. This is a Jet season and Jets are going to get, you know, the forefront of the coverage in, you know, when it comes to NFL coverage in the city. So it's a different dynamic, Kate. Because the Knicks are such a dominant force and the Nets are, they're new, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, they don't. And they're New, they're and new Jersey, really, at the end of the day, right? New we Jersey, still view them they as They had no following in New Jersey. And even now moving to Brooklyn. Listen, I live in Brooklyn now. I, I'm a hop, skip, and a jump. I could be at the Barclays Center in about a 25-minute <laughs> walk. You just don't have people oozing Nets basketball the way they do Knicks basketball. Why do I bring that up? That's not the case with the Jets and the Giants. Like, don't get me wrong. I think the Giants have been the far more successful franchise. They have far more of a glamorous history when you think about Parcells and Lawrence Taylor, and then yep. of course Strahan and Eli Manning and the upset and even, over even the New England Belichick, Patriots. right? Even the fact that well, Belichick I mean. came Belichick from the Giants, Belichick being on yeah. that staff, yeah, like uh, the the Giants have the pedigree. They're one of the most successful organizations in the entire history of the NFL. But the Jets, like I think about my father, he was a child of Joe Willie Namath. And, mm. you know, the Jets have had periods here where they have had a lot of success. Not recently. They haven't been in the playoffs in over a decade. But I would say for both teams, this is probably, Tate, the most juiced up I think New York is going to be going into a football season for both franchises that we've had now in a long, long time. The Jets, because of what you just mentioned, you go and get Aaron Rodgers. Is star power quarterback. They're all in loaded division, loaded conference. So like expectations are super high there. And then you throw in the giants. Hey, the giants last year exceeded expectations. They made the playoffs. They won a playoff game. So the down and out New York football franchises that that was the case. I mean, the last couple of years before 2022, we get to Halloween and the football season would be over. I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's all there is to it. 
You'd have Jet and Shine fans looking at mock drafts over Thanksgiving dinner. There's a <laughs> they start watching there. college football, right? Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're, they're more focused on what the quarterbacks are doing on Saturday as opposed to what their team is doing on Sunday. Um, we're going to have a fun football season around here. Is it going to live up to the billing? Time will tell. Listen, the Jets have no picnic in that AFC. That is that is not a walk in the park. That's why I am, I'm trying to temper expectations a little bit amongst the Jet people in my life where I'm like, listen, <laughs> You could have a good year and still find yourself 10 and 7 playing Cincinnati or Kansas City wild card weekend. Like, that's a distinct possibility in Jetland. And it feels like all the conversation is going to be about Aaron Rodgers and the Jets. That's why, you know, that's kind of like the front uh, of the New York Post, right? But then if you get to the back pages, I feel like a conversation will be about Saquon Barkley trying to figure out what that looks like. I mean, is there any update there? Because as much as I love Brian Dayball, by the way, when I did GM Street with Michael Lombardi, Dayball was our guy. He would let us know what was happening around the league. So it's great to see him in, you know, a head coaching position. I think he's the right guy for the job, the right fit. I think Daniel Jones, you know, much maligned early in his career but I think he's got it you know figured out at some level but now Saquon is the big question right with the Giants and if they're able to shore that up I feel like they're moving in the right direction and they could be a real contender in that division listen Brian Dable is from a first year coach standpoint did as good a job as I've seen a first year coach doing a long long time Tate he had it that together roster, yeah that roster was not very talented they didn't have a whole lot of weapons and he got him to the playoffs. He got Daniel Jones to play the best football of his career. The Giants have themselves the right head coach. As far as Barkley's concerned, look, I think it's going to play out. This is not going to be Le'Veon Bell with the Pittsburgh Steelers <laughs> where he holds out the year. Saquon wants the ball. The Giants clearly want him back. It's the posturing of the business that is the NFL where you've seen it. There has been a devaluation of the running back position. No, no matter who you are, it, you know, you could nowadays you could be, you know, you could have 2000 yards like Chris Johnson did. And they're still going to say, well, we don't want to give you a four year, five year contract because that's just not the business of the running back position. And it may not be fair. And, and I personally don't think it is fair, but that's just kind of like you said, it, it is what it is. It has become the norm now. And if you're a GM, if you're a president, if you're an owner, if you give a running back one of those big deals, you know, you're kind of like people snicker about you, right? They start laughing like, what an idiot. And, and it isn't viewed in the same light that it once was. 100%. And listen, all you need to know is Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley this weekend were working out together. So okay, good. I, don't, I don't get the sense <laughs> that there's like this friction and bad blood that Saquon now is going to take going into this year. I, I think he's going to play it out. I think he'll probably go a couple of days and... Listen, if we get to the last week in training camp and Saquon Barkley's not there, then I'd be concerned. In July, yeah. I'm not particularly concerned. Uh, let's get to the basketball team. We're not going to talk about the Nets. I mean, shout out to Mikel Bridges. Uh, I really, I, I like the, when the Nets are young and fun, but like you said, there, there's not this diehard, you know, you know, thirst for Nets coverage, but there is that for the New York Knicks and the Knicks with Jalen Brunson. I feel like they have a stabilizing force. They brought in Josh Hart in the trade deadline. And now there's rumors that Dante DiVincenzo out of Villanova also wants to go play uh, for the New York Knicks. Uh, when do we get to the point where we call them the New York Wildcats? Because we got Kentucky players and we got Villanova players and they all want to go play for the New York Knicks. How how fun is that to watch the Jalen Brunson era and how nice is it to have a cornerstone where you can actually rely on him? I mean, no shade to Julius Randle, but he's a very volatile player. We all remember the thumbs down, but Jalen Brunson, for what it's worth, he seems to get it. And, and we don't know how to quantify what it is, but Jalen Brunson seems to get it. And how much is, has, has the city kind of embraced Brunson? Tate, you know, I'm a Syracuse guy, mm -hmm. and it pains me. So it's tough. Bringing me back to the days <laughs> of the old Big East to roof all these Villanova guys. I'm going to say this. Jalen Brunson in one year has become my favorite Knicks since Patrick Ewing. That's wow. how much fun he was to watch last year. The Knicks haven't had a point guard in forever, basically, in my entire lifetime. Yeah, he Raven Felton in. was the last one. Yeah. That's what I mean. And like you're talking about Raymond Felton or washed up Jason Kidd or mm -hmm. Stefan Marbury, who was so overrated. But like they go and get Jalen Brunson. And I always liked him in college. Like, Tate, I watch, you know, this. I'm a big college basketball guy. So he made me a lot of money over the years. And I'm like, yeah. all right, he's a good college player. How is he going to translate to the NBA? I'm like, yeah, hey, he'll be a good role player. He'll be a good guy, you know, 
sixth, seventh man. Good backup point guard, right? That, that's what he Watch, started as. Exactly. That's what I thought his career ceiling was. I watched him with Dallas. I said, okay, he's a starting point guard in the league, but he's better than that. Like watching him night in and night out, I gained such an appreciation for what he brings to the table. And yeah, you're so right. He has an it factor about him. He has intangibles oozing out of him that I look at Jalen Brunson and I say, this is someone that I can clearly build around. I don't know if Jalen Brunson necessarily is going to be the number one on a championship team, but there's no doubt he's a winning player. He is a part of the solution for what you're looking to do. So that's great that you have that out of the way. Um, DiVincenzo fits the Knicks really well. They need a guy who can shoot the ball. Two-way type of player. I know his defense is not going to knock his socks off, but he had to defend a little bit going back to his days with Milwaukee and the Golden State Warriors, where it's the least he's not coming from a team that's winning 20 or 25 games. I was going to say, two championship franchises coming from a championship college program. I mean, the guy's a winner. I mean, that's literally the definition. So bringing him into the building with Brunson, who's a winner. And I think, you know, Tibbs, uh, people have talked about Tibbs, but Tibbs really is a great coach, in my opinion. And, you know, you can go back and forth about adjustments in the playoffs and things like that. But what Tibbs was able to do with having Derrick Rose there, like, I felt like Derrick kind of walked so that Jalen Brunson could fly, if that makes any sense, you know? So it was started with Derek and then now Tibbs can trust in Jalen Brunson. I think Derek did a great job kind of mentoring, you know, Jalen early on. And now you have a winning culture that is being cultivated in New York. And how do you win in New York? You win with multiple stars. Now that you have Jalen Brunson, now that you have a max contract, you could potentially flip. You can, you know, start, you know, fantasizing about what disgruntled star in the league wants to come play for the Knicks. Can we figure it out? Is it Joel Embiid? Is it Giannis Antetokounmpo? Like who, who will it be? Um, and, and having someone like Brunson already there kind of lets you, it, it lends itself to a potential where you can actually bring in a mega, you know, big star in the NBA, which I hasn't been that way in a long time since Carmelo and Amari and all those guys were trying to come in 2010. Well, that's the thing, Tate. Whoever that guy might be, I want him playing with Jalen Brunson. Mm-hmm. That's the key. Like Jalen Brunson is a part of what they're looking to do. I think they're in a weird position, though, this offseason because after watching the playoffs, I'm like, listen, if I could move Julius Randle, I would move Julius Randle. The issue is his contract is ginormous. You're not going to get back equal value, and you're not going to just trade Julius Randle for, for the nothing. sake of trading right. Julius Randle. Yeah, like I, I don't look at it and say, wow, go get Carl Anthony Towns. Like that's, oh, no, no, <laughs> no. That's, that's, that's a hard pass as far as I'm concerned. So it might be another year for them where they kind of got to buy their time, see how the NBA market is going to play out. Because you look at the guys who are out there this summer, they're not going to be in on Damian Lillard. That doesn't make a lot of sense. They don't need Damian Lillard and Jalen Brunson in the same backcourt. The, ne- the Nets need Damian Lillard more yes. than the Knicks do. Yes. I agree. And listen, he's going to end up, I think, in Miami, and he's going to be a star in Miami with Heat Culture and Spolster and Jimmy Butler, and they could go make a run at another NBA championship. But I think they got to continue to be patient, build that winning culture that you're talking about with Brunson, doing it the right way. I think Thibodeau deserves a lot of credit. Listen, he took a lot of heat for losing this series to Miami. Let's call it like it is. Miami was a much better team than the Knicks. I mean, they had so many different ways to beat you. I mean, they had two-way players galore. Like, I know they were the quote-unquote eight seed. They were... They were a Fugazi eight seed. They were not a real eight seed. And the year before, they were the one seed, right? So, I mean, that, that, that and they beat the one seed. Obviously, Giannis was hurt for a couple of games. But, they, I mean, once they beat the one seed, they got that path. And then they played like it the rest of the way. So, I mean, I don't think that was a big – people thought at the time that the Heat were going to, you know, fizzle out in the next round. But they didn't at all. In fact, they, you know, they, they did not get swept by the Nuggets like, a, you know, like the Lakers did in the Western Conference Finals. I mean, the Heat were a legit team, and they were missing one piece, one scoring piece for them, which could be Dame in the end. But I, I felt like a lot of people jumped on Tibbs' throats because it, it's kind of like, uh, you know, it's like the popular yeah, right. thing to do. I agree right. with that, Tate, especially because I get it. Like, it didn't go great in Minnesota. And the narrative in Chicago is, oh, he burned his players out. And he ran them into the ground. But in reality, that Bulls team, he kind of, in my opinion, maxed them out. Like, they yeah. squeezed every last ounce of out of that team, and unfortunately, Derrick Rose got hurt. Like, he, boy, you want to tell me he shouldn't have been on the floor in that Philadelphia playoff game? All right, that's a 
that's a story for a different day. But I hate to say it. Sometimes blank happens, dude. Like injuries, yeah. they also, happen. The whole thing that he ran these guys into the ground, Derek's still in the league. Uh, Jimmy's still a star in the league. You know what I mean? It's like, and then the the real people you're talking about are like Boozer and Noah, right? I mean, and and Noah had a a shelf life in his career anyway, just the way that he played and his knees and things like that. And Boozer was already aging out anyway. So I I just feel like the whole narrative, people want to jump on Tibbs' throats. I'm one of the few people that likes to stand up for Tibbs. I think he's- I'm right there with you. We got that in common. We we got that that in common. Speaking of, uh, this is the last thing I want to talk about, then I'll let you go. I know we've ran through the, the the full gamut here of uh, New York topics, but I got to talk about my guy, Rick Pitino. Um, goes to St. John, says he's going to change the culture of the program. I think he's already doing that. He, he's been great in the transfer portal. He's been great recruiting. Uh, the New York City point guards all around, shooting guards. Ian Jackson comes to mind, a Carolina commit. He's already got Rick Pitino flooding him, recruiting him. It feels like the good old days. I know you're a Syracuse guy, but how fun is it to have you know Rick Pitino, the Rick Tater himself back in New York? It's fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic, Tate, because Rick Pitino is one of the best college coaches in the history Maybe of ever. college he, basketball. He, he literally might be the best. Yeah. You, you, you can make that argument. Everywhere he goes, he wins. Mm-hmm. Therefore, I think he will win at St. John's. It's a question of when, not if, as far as I'm concerned. He is going to get players. He's going to get the most out of them. I love Rick Pitino and what he brings to the table. And, yeah, now the Gordon has some buzz when UConn and Villanova and all these Big East <laughs> yep. teams come to town. You got a team that can go and do serious damage. Maybe not next year, but with the next couple of years, you mark my words, Tate. They will find themselves to the second weekend minimum of the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I think there's a world in which Rick Pitino's back in the Final Four, and it's with St. John's. And and St. John's has such a, a long history in the world of basketball. In fact, I mean, a lot of the Carolina greatness started at St. John's, right, before Frank McGuire went down south to North Carolina. So I have an affinity for St. John's. I want them to play in the garden. I want Rick Pitino to be stalking the sidelines in an all-white suit, right? This is This is good for college basketball. JJ, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you for running through all these topics with us. Uh, where can we find all your amazing work to make sure people go check you out, especially if you're a New York fan, because JJ keeps you up to speed on everything. I appreciate that, Tate. Uh, you want to follow New York, New York, of course, Spotify, yep. Apple, wherever you get your podcast. Uh, Ring of Gambling Show, which is, of course, East Coast Bias with Joe House Raheem Palmer every Wednesday right here on FanDuel TV. And if you like uh, the good stuff on Twitter, John underscore Jastrzemski. Well, there you go. JJ Bombs, appreciate you coming on the show. And uh, we will have you back during the dog days of summer. And we'll get an update on what's happening with the Yankees and the Mets and everything else in the MLB. I appreciate you coming on the show, man. Anytime, Tate. You got it, buddy. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there. The weather was phenomenal. And most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side by side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.